Let's pray together. God, we live in a messed up world. Um, We live in a world where people kill and steal and lie. We live in a world where people on a bridge can be sliced by a man with a knife. We live in a world where police must make the difficult decision to shoot someone dead. We remember the tragedy that happened uh, on London Bridge on on Saturday, on Friday, actually. Um, We remember the growing number of of attacks and killings that plague our city. And so, God, we cry out to you for mercy. Help us. Save us. We pray for victims and their families. Bring peace to them. Comfort them. We pray for those who are plotting to do evil. Open their eyes so that they may see you and fear you and turn from their wicked ways. Thank you that you do not abandon us or leave us in our sins. Through Jesus, you offer the answers that we seek. You offer the hope and salvation that we all desperately need. So speak to us today, God, as we read your word. We need to hear from you. Amen. Well, the world certainly is messed up. You can't deny that. Um, But I wonder what's the best explanation for the way the world is. Whose fault is it? easy for us as humans, uh, like the first humans did, to blame others. We can certainly try to do that. Uh, But I think we all agree at some level um, that we are the cause, humanity. Whether you're religious or not religious, you know that it's humans who are doing these things. Um, Humans are capable of very terrible things, and humans do very terrible things. So almost everyone agrees that something, at some level, somehow is wrong with humanity. What exactly is wrong? Well, that's another question. Uh, But we all wonder, where will the answers come from? Where will salvation come from? Where where is the solution? One of my favorite comic strips is called Calvin and Hobbes. It's uh, written by a man named Bill Watterson. He's also the artist. And it's about a boy and his imaginary tiger. And throughout the comic strip, he, he uses the boy and the tiger to wrestle with some really deep questions about life. Um, he, he pokes fun at people and some of their absurd ideas. So here, here's one of my favorites. Calvin says, I believe history is a force. Its unalterable tide sweeps people and institutions along its unrelenting path. Everything and everyone serves history's single purpose. And what is that purpose? Hobb wants to know. Calvin says, why to produce me, of course. I'm the end result of history. Hobbes says, you? Think of it, says Calvin. Thousands of generations lived and died to produce my exact parents, whose reason for being, obviously, was to produce me. Calvin declares, now I'm here, and history is vindicated. So then Hobbes wonders, so now that history has brought you, what are you going to do? And then in the last frame of the comic... Calvin and Hobbes are sitting on a couch laughing hysterically at children's cartoons. (laughs) The best that human history can produce, he is being distracted by cartoons. It's funny because we expect, uh, if he's the best that history can produce, we'd expect in the final scene he'd be curing cancer um, or ending poverty. Uh, But instead he's just like the rest of us, he's distracted by a screen. 
we would expect that by now, history would have produced answers or some solutions to all our problems. But our leaders, even the best leaders, are just as flawed as we are. This is funny, too, because many of us think that we are the point of history. Life is all about me. The world revolves around us. We think that sometimes. Don't believe me? Then just, just think about how much time you spend during the day thinking about yourself. Watterson is reminding us that as much as we'd like to believe that we are important or that we can save ourselves, we can't. We just can't. If the point of history is us, that's a pretty sad story. Humans can't produce a leader who will save them what's tr- from what's truly broken because what's truly broken is us. We might cure cancer one day. We might even send somebody to Mars and we might build a city there. But we can't touch the brokenness that's in the human soul. Technology, politics, medicine, they can't change who we really are. A solution to the broken system can't come from within the broken system. Or as the third century theologian Athanasius puts it, you can't put straight what is warped in yourself. So what's the best explanation for the way things are in the world? Well, I think Christianity has an answer that makes a lot of sense. Christians believe that humanity's problem is that all of us have rejected the perfect rule of a holy God. And the result is that sin now corrupts us at the deepest levels, both physically and spiritually. It's what we call sin. So where will the solution to sin come from? Well, we need a solution that comes from outside of ourselves. It can't come from within. We need the supernatural to intervene. We need a miracle. What we need is God to save us from ourselves. So Christians believe that history points not to us, but to God. So how will God save us? Well, that brings us to our story today. Our story starts with an unexpected visit to a young Jewish girl. In the book of Luke, chapter 1, God sends a messenger. In God's kingdom, there are spiritual beings, these spiritual creatures. They're called angels. In the Bible, they're described as being fantastic. They surround God's throne. They worship him day and night, and some of them are messengers. They bring messages to humans. Now, some of these angels are also evil and rebellious. We call them demons. But here in verse 26, we meet a messenger. His name is Gabriel. Now, if you know the biblical history a little bit, you might have already met Gabriel back in the Old Testament in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel is an Old Testament prophet, and Gabriel comes to Daniel to deliver a message. And Daniel says, so he came near to where I stood, and when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. You don't want to mess with an angel. They are frightening. They, they come from the very presence of God. So Daniel's terrified, but he also decides to listen to the message from God. And now this story of Mary and Gabriel is part of a larger story that's taking place in Luke chapter 1. Luke is connecting it back to something that's happened already in chapter 1. He says, in the sixth month, Luke is connecting it to what has happened to a man, Zechariah, and his wife, Elizabeth. 
Gabriel has already sent a message to them. He's appeared to Zechariah and he says, I know that you're old. I know that you and your wife can't have children because she's barren. She's unable to have children. But guess what? God has a surprise for you. You two will have a child. You'll have a son. It's going to be a miraculous birth. You will have a son. Now, encounters with angels are quite rare in the Bible. So Luke is showing us that God is doing something. He's taking action. Something amazing is about to happen. And let's look again at the rest of the story here in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So God now sends Gabriel again as a messenger to deliver a message to a place called Nazareth. Now, this is the beginning of the first century. Israel has been under the rule of foreign nations almost continuously for about 600 years. And now Jerusalem, God's holy city, is under Roman rule and occupation. Although it's a season that has some peace, there's still famine and disease. There, there are still revolts and uprisings. God's people are waiting and longing for God to keep his promise from the Old Testament that he would save them from their oppression. They want to be free from Roman rule. So let's travel now about 70 miles north to Nazareth. Nazareth is a Jewish village in the hills of Galilee. It's not on the main roads. It's a small village. It's insignificant. Its citizens are probably poor farmers, craftsmen, probably some shepherds. Nazareth has a reputation. When people talk about Nazareth, they say, can anything good come from Nazareth? Walking in the village, you'd see donkeys, you'd see goats, you'd see children playing in the dirt. It's a small village. Everyone would know everyone. And it's to this village, this dusty old town, that God sends his messenger. Now, this is unexpected. Nothing happens in Nazareth. And yet here is God's messenger showing up. And who is the message for? Well, it's for a young Jewish girl called Mary. Now, Mary could be 12 years old, possibly. At 12 years old, um, that's when a young girl becomes an adult in the eyes of the Jewish community. So she's probably quite young. We know that she's engaged or betrothed. Her and Joseph would remain engaged for about a whole year. And then at the end of that year, they'd have their wedding ceremony. But for that year, they would live separately. They'd still be faithful to each other. They'd still remain pure. A Jewish betrothal is a serious relationship, a serious commitment. can only be broken by divorce. And so here's Mary. There's nothing significant about her. She's living in a tiny village. Nothing significant about that. And now the unexpected visit. Gabriel appears. Verse 28. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Gabriel greets her. The Greek word here carries with it the feeling of rejoicing. This is a happy, joyous greeting. Mary, be glad. God is taking action. He's about to do something. This is good news. But Mary is shaken. She's troubled. I mean, I, I guess I would be too, wouldn't you? I mean, an angel. What are they? I don't even know what they look like, but they appear. And here he is. So she's troubled. She's confused. It's an unexpected visit. Imagine that 
you get a knock at your door. And standing there is one of the queen's guards, the black bear cap, the, the red tunic, and he's smiling. Now that would be unexpected. You would have some fear, but also you'd be confused, right? This is what's going on with Mary. She's troubled. An angel has come to visit, but it seems she's even more troubled about the message. It says she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. She's wondering, why her? What has she done to deserve this visit and this greeting? We can see some humility in Mary. She's honest about herself. She knows that she doesn't deserve anything from God. She knows the Bible. The scriptures teach that no one is righteous. All of us have fallen short of God's glorious standards, and we deserve judgment and wrath because of our sins. And so Mary wonders, why this gracious gift? Why this message? Why this greeting? Then Gabriel gives her an answer. And the answer is good news for all of us. Verse 30, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. This Greek word, favor, uh, the Greek word that it comes from, it's connected to grace. Gabriel is saying that God's grace rests upon Mary. God's grace has been put upon Mary. It's a gift from God to her. He is the source, not her. Of course, Mary doesn't deserve anything from God. The Bible shows us that humans can't do anything to earn God's favor. But God, in his grace and mercy, chooses to bless, chooses to save, not because of anything great about humanity, but because of his steadfast love, because he gets the glory. So Gabriel's answer reminds me of Exodus chapter 33, verse 19. God says to Moses, and I will be gracious to whomever I will be gracious, and I will show mercy to whoever I will show mercy. God does the choosing. We can't manipulate God. We can't convince him. We can't persuade him. We can't woo him. Grace is a gift. So Mary is offered the opposite of what she deserves. Gabriel's answer is good news for all of us because what happens to Mary is the same pattern that we see throughout the scriptures. God gives undeserved grace. Not just to Mary, but to all who will accept it from him as a gift. God wants to extend grace to us this Christmas. He wants to be involved in our lives and in our families. He wants us to enjoy his gift of salvation. He wants us to receive his grace. And God loves to choose the most unexpected people to receive his grace. He's not looking at the things we look at. Humans assume that God is looking for the wise, the rich, the powerful, uh, the religious, the educated, or, or maybe just the people whose lives are put together. But God does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God offers his grace to the undeserving. He offers his grace to Mary, and he offers his grace to us. Will we accept it from him? Let's keep reading. What, what is this message that Gabriel has for Mary? Well, it's an unexpected announcement. Verse 31. And behold, you will conceive 
in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. What kind of announcement is this? It's a royal birth announcement. God has been silent for 400 years at this point. There have been no prophets, no sacred writings. And now this angel appears and announces a royal birth. It's unexpected. Mary will have a son. What do we learn about his identity? Well, we see that the son will have a unique position in God's kingdom. Verse 32, he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. So he will have a unique position. He will take this father-son relationship to new heights. He will be higher than kings and angels, and he will be intimately connected to God. This son will be the promised king, what we call the Messiah. Verse 32, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. This is messianic language. We see that the son will have unique authority. He will be a king from the line of of David. And verse 33, he will reign forever with no end. So this is no ordinary baby. This is no ordinary king. The birth announcement would immediately make Mary think back through the many promises that God has given to his people. And by this time, these promises are deeply rooted in the Jewish memory. Many of the promises are about God's plan to save his people through a great leader, a Messiah. Mary finds herself entering into that story that began at the beginning of history. She's thinking back to all the promises. Throughout history, God has left these, these, uh, this trail of breadcrumbs. He's slowly revealing, step by step, his plan of salvation. The first humans rejected God as their king. They rebelled against him. The result was that sin entered the world and the entire future of the, him, of the human race was now corrupted. But even at the beginning, during that very, very first sin, God was ready to reveal a plan to save his people. Look at this from the book of Genesis, chapter three. God speaks to the snake, to Satan, the enemy, and he promises, I will put enmity, war, between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, He will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. At the very beginning, we see this breadcrumb, this this idea that a promised offspring will come, a promised son, one who will come to crush the head of Satan, one who will defeat sin and evil. It's a promise that's looking forward. Many generations later, God gives another promise to a man and a woman. They will have a miraculous birth. The woman, Sarah, can't have children, but she's going to allow her husband and herself to have a child. And through their children, through their descendants, great blessing and salvation will come to the entire human race. This man's name was Abraham and he was the father of the Jewish nation. God would raise up a descendant, a son from his line. God is promising a special offspring, a future son. And then many more generations later, God gives his people kings to rule over them, to protect them. But a human king can't save God's people. So God makes a promise to King David. This is in 2 Samuel. 
God says to King David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up offspring. There's that word again. Offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I imagine Mary is thinking about this, this truth. Have you seen this repeated theme? Do you, do you see this theme that there's a future offspring, a, a son that is to come in the future? As the angel, the angel Gabriel speaks about this royal birth and reveals the identity of Mary's son, we see that God is keeping his promises. God keeps his promises. He has promised that he will save his people through a future leader, an anointed king, unlike all the other kings. The wait is over. The promise is being fulfilled. Now, as humans, we don't always see what God is up to. Uh, and often, God is at work behind the scenes. Where I come from in the U.S., there is a plant that's very common. It's called the agave americana. It's very common in the American Southwest. It does well in rocky desert areas. Sometimes it's called the century plant because it has a really long production cycle. This plant can live for about 30 years or more, but it doesn't produce a bloom until the very end of its life. And it actually only blooms once and then it dies. So for decades, it looks like the plant is doing nothing. It stays at the same size, those pokey little things at the bottom. Same size, same shape for decades. And then all of a sudden, a new shoot comes up from the center. It kind of looks like a giant asparagus. It grows seven inches per day to a height of about 20 or 40 feet. And it gets this crown of yellow blooms. But for decades, it looked like nothing was happening. On the surface, there was no evidence. But at just the right time, the promise of the bloom is fulfilled. That's what's happening here in the book of Luke. From a human perspective, nothing has been happening. There's been 400 years of silence. There were these promises, but where's the fulfillment? And then all of a sudden, an angel arrives, and that changes everything. And when we look back at the trail of breadcrumbs, when we look at the promises, we realize that God actually has been at work the entire time. So will we trust that God is at work even when we can't see it? Will we trust that God will keep his promises to us? Mary believes the promises. Verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? She understands who her son will be, but she also understands that something miraculous needs to happen. She understands that, okay, that, yeah, God is doing something here. I can believe that, but help me understand this. I'm a virgin. How will this happen? How will she become pregnant? God is promising physical offspring, but there is something bigger going on. This baby will have supernatural origin. Gabriel reveals that this baby will be more than just another human king. And he will do more than save the, God's people from political enemies. Gabriel reveals to us an unexpected salvation. Think about it. How can a human king save God's people from their sin? How could that ever happen? How could a human king rule forever? This king about to be, about to be born is very unique, very special, and his name will be Jesus. That name, Jesus, 
means God is salvation or Yahweh saves. God has something more in mind than just rescuing his people from their enemies. Here we find another breadcrumb that points to God's big plan. God himself will come to save his people. Verse 35, And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth is in her old age, who is in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month, and with her, uh, with her who has been called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. So how on earth will a virgin become pregnant? Here's the miracle. Nothing is impossible but with God. The miracle is that the power of the Most High will overshadow her. It's God's doing. It's God's action. The language here makes us think back to the very beginning when the Holy Spirit is hovering over the earth as it's being formed. It makes us think back to the tabernacle when, when God's glory in, in a cloud overshadows the tabernacle. It's God's action. It's God's initiative. The Holy Spirit will cause new life to form in Mary and she will remain a virgin. This isn't a myth. This is a miracle. Nothing will be impossible with God. The child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. He will be divine. He will be holy without sin. He will be disconnected from that sin nature that's passed on through the descendants of Adam. Jesus will be fully God. It's not a myth. It's a miracle. And God will take on human flesh. This is what we call the incarnation. It comes from the Latin, incarno, uh, to make into flesh. Because of Mary, Jesus will also be fully human, a baby who grows up into a man. This is good news. Because we need a savior who is both human and God. He needs to be human so that he can live and die in our place. One man, Adam, brought sin into the world. One man, Jesus, can save us from that sin. And how can he do that? Well, he must be perfect and sinless. And he must have the power to then be raised from the dead. And so he must also be fully God. We need a sinless savior who is both human and God. It's a great mystery. This points even further to this truth of, of our God who, who is nothing like our concept of humanity. He, he's a tri-unity. He is a complex unity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, completely different from us. And yet he comes. He humbles himself. Fully human so he can live and die. He can obey God's laws in the way that we couldn't. He can die in our place, but he's also fully God because he can be perfect and sinless and be raised from the dead. Fully God, fully human. It's a great mystery, and yet it's true of Jesus. This is an unexpected salvation. God saves his people through Jesus. Through Jesus, the King. Jesus, who is both fully God and fully human. God solves the problem of our sin by providing a sinless savior, himself. We needed God to intervene, and he did. We need him to rule us because we can't rule ourselves. We need him to save us because we can't save ourselves. 
And so God himself comes to save us. It's good news. What a gift. He gives us exactly what we need. What a gracious gift. The astronaut, James Irwin, is one of the few people to walk on the moon. And as he stood on the moon, he looked up at the earth and he prayed for the first time. He had a moment with God. As he thought about the wars and the poverty and the hunger and the evil, he thought to himself, what is more important than man walking on the moon is that God should walk on earth. Jesus changes everything. His life, his death, his resurrection, it changes everything. God is guiding human history and it's all pointing, it's all about this one person, this divine, unique individual, Jesus Christ. All of history points to him, to the God who takes on human flesh to save us from our sins. So how will Mary respond? She gets this amazing announcement, this amazing news. She sees these glimpses of of who this baby will be. She doesn't fully understand all of it yet, but she understands enough. So how will she respond? She's facing a difficult decision, a difficult reality. If she says yes, she will become pregnant, but without the help of Joseph, this will be a pregnancy outside of marriage. It will be scandalous. The community will view it as sinful. She could be kicked out of the village. She will have to face divorce and shame, a reputation that she'll never get rid of. Her entire life will change. This is a huge decision. What will she do? What would you do? What would you believe in this moment? What would you be feeling? This will be a costly yes. Here's how Mary responds. The very end. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary looked at all the promises and she believed them. She, she looked at this angel who came from the very presence of God and she believed him. Now, Mary didn't fully understand everything, but she believed enough, she knew enough to say, I can trust that God. I can give my life to him. His ways are better than my ways. How could I say no to this? Yes, it will be costly, but I'm gonna say yes. So she did. I will do whatever God asks. I will give my life to serving him. I'm ready to accept him as my king, no matter the cost no matter the consequences, because he's worth it. So what about us this Christmas? Do we believe the promises of God? Do we even know them? I have a little book that I, that I have on my shelf. It probably has 300 or more. It just lists all the promises from the scriptures, promises to God's people. Do you believe God's promises? Do we trust that following him is better than anything else? He really is worth everything. And have we accepted this free gift that God offers, the gift of salvation in Jesus? Have we admitted the truth of our sins and repented and said, all right, God, forgive me. I need a solution outside of myself. I need you to intervene. I I can't have these human solutions anymore. They're just techniques. They don't go anywhere. I need you. Have you come to that place in your life? Perhaps we can find some encouragement from the words, of Gabriel. Look again at verse 30. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. God gives undeserved grace to all who will accept it from him as a gift. God is willing to save 
anyone who will come to him in repentance. He wants his grace to rest upon you, upon us. This Christmas season, let's celebrate the gift of that grace. Let's praise him. Let's thank him for it. Let's sing and rejoice. Let's, let's celebrate. Let's remember. We have reason to hope, even in a dark world, God stepped in. He moved into the neighborhood. He became one of us so that he could live a perfect, sinless life. He obeyed all of God's laws. He did everything that we couldn't do. And then he died on a cross, which, which was what we deserved. And then because he was God, he had the power to be raised from the dead. And that changes everything. Mary didn't know all of the story, but now we know more. We can look back and see what God was doing. Will we trust that? Will we believe that? Will we celebrate that? God is saving his people through King Jesus. And we see the beginning of that story here in Luke chapter one. So let's do that now. Let's sing. Let's celebrate. Let's rejoice. This is an, an announcement and it's good. It's filled with rejoicing. So let's do that now. I'm gonna have our musicians come back up. Let's sing together. <laughs>